All right, we have arrived, everybody. It is Q&A Sunday. Five people are excited to be here. <laughs> so we've been uh, fielding your questions on the Holy Spirit for the last five weeks. We have some really good ones now. Um, you know, I always enjoy these things. That the goal is to find questions that truly I cannot give you an answer to. That's the best, okay? Um, we tried this about five or six, uh, six weeks ago with the Heaven Series. We had some really good questions with the Heaven Series. We spent the entire service, I mean, just answering questions. It was a blast. And so with the Holy Spirit Series, we thought if there's anything that people have questions about as much as Heaven, it's got to be the Holy Spirit, okay? So we've got some humdingers here, okay? Um, some caveats before we jump into it, you know. Um, obviously, I'll be tackling about 15 to 20 questions this morning, so I don't have time to go in-depth, okay? If you have more questions about something, uh, if, if I give an answer, I'll probably reference a verse, but I might not have time to go into all the verses, okay? So if, if there's an answer that you felt like you, you want to know more about, you, you want to see where it is in the Scriptures, um, contact us on Facebook. You can find me. We'll make sure you get all that. But again, I'll be moving kind of fast because we've got so many questions, um, also, you know, if it's your, your first Sunday with us, just in general here at Grace Church, the agreement that we've made is that as a church family, we want all of God, no matter what it looks like or, you know, feels like. We want all of God, but if it's not God, we're good. Agreed? Yeah. M me and you, brother, we are agreed. So, you know, as our church family, as we, as we continue to kind of uh, embark down this road of the Holy Spirit, so many of us are from different backgrounds. Um, some of us have lots of experience with the Holy Spirit, um, and some of us have none. And so it's going to be a blast, all of us kind of going through it together. Um, but again, the heart is, if it's God, we want it. And if it's not, we're good. You ready? Question one. Here we go. What is the difference between being baptized with the Spirit... And being filled with the Spirit. What do you want like, to answer that for me? Um, basically, if you guys are taking notes, if you guys go to Acts chapter 1, verse 5, we see the context where Jesus is kind of, he's echoing the promise that he made in the book of Luke. We promised that he would bring the gift of the Father, which is the uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, where the Spirit of God would be poured upon all flesh. And so in, in this reference, he uses the word baptized. He says, and of course, and he, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then if you fast forward a chapter into Acts 2, verses 3 through 4, you see the reference where this takes place. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. The baptism takes place on Pentecost. And the word used there is, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, you know, since we, since the translations that we have are, are all kind of going from the Greek to the English, it's just a ch the interchange of words, basically. To be baptized, to be filled, these are the same things. All right? Make sense? Question one down. Okay, moving on. Question two, here we go. Who speaks to us? This is a hard one. Who speaks to us? The Holy Spirit or Jesus or God? What's the difference? Holy cow. Okay. First of all, I think what they meant was the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or the Father. Okay? So, again, let's understand that whenever we talk about the Trinity, things get a little bit confusing when we start talking about Trinity because, simply put, it's like nothing that we know on the earth. Okay? And this God who is triune, he is, he is three in one. So each is fully God, but yet each is fully themselves, and it's kind of confusing in general. But 
the best I can say is this. The, the one thing we do see, if you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, the Gospel of John, verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 12. So John 16, verse 12. I will kind of read something really quick out of that. And this should kind of help us just a hair here. Okay, so John 16, verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, um, this is Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, so, so I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, understand this. When, when Jesus was on the earth, he, he made these references where he would say things like, he only speaks that which the Father allows him to speak. It's this idea that there's just like mutual submission. There's just kind of a cohesion between the, the Father and the Son. And so when Jesus was on the earth, he, was, he, he in essence was the mouthpiece of the Father. And we see the same exchange take place with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit becomes the mouthpiece, if you would, of the Godhead, of the Trinity. And so it's not that God and Jesus never speak, if you would, the Father and Jesus don't ever speak. But when the Father and Jesus speak, it looks very different. If you notice the Gospels, when the Father speaks, it's an audible kind of a manifestation. There's about three or four times where the Father shows up and speaks, and it's like this loud kind of like voice from heaven. Everyone freaks out. You're like, oh my God, you know, like the, the clouds are speaking. Uh, with Jesus, we see Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul. Um, we see that he shows up, and it's a very distinct situation where it wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul. When he gets knocked off his horse, he sees his bright light. It's Jesus himself, in essence, the, the resurrected Jesus of body, uh, body of Jesus comes back again, and he speaks in person to Paul. And so basically saying all that to say that the Holy Spirit is the mouthpiece. He's the one who speaks for the Trinity, for God himself on the earth right now. And so uh, 99% of the time when you are uh, in conversation with God in any way, you are in conversation with God through the Holy Spirit. Whew. Okay, no more trendy questions. Thank you. Moving on. Uh, question three. So how can we be able to hear and understand the Holy Spirit speak uh, into our lives? Uh, basically, how do we learn to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us? Um, there are no direct scriptures that I could find that actually give us a one, two, three, how um, someone can, in essence, start brand new, take the first step, and learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Um, if you are taking notes, what I would say is it takes three different things. It takes time, it takes testing, and it takes trusting, meaning uh, probably three or four years ago with my youth group, we did this experiment we had these kids line up these chairs. So in essence, like, imagine like a, a row of chairs here. And so I put my kids on either side of the chairs. And, I, and we had one kid at the far end of the chairs, and he was blindfolded. And so we had these chairs kind of, you know, it's a maze. So the, and so the whole idea was, was that the kids on either side of the aisles would scream and yell at him, just random stuff, right? And there's one person whose job was to whisper at the far end of the maze and to lead them through the maze. But the trick was, we'd always choose the person's best friend to do it. So we'd choose the voice that they were familiar with. And it was the craziest thing, because at first you could tell, like, they're overwhelmed. They're just kids screaming at them, and they're just like, you know, I don't know what to do. But all of a sudden, they would hear this voice 
that to them was familiar. And then they would begin to follow it. And uh, it's very kind of a practical way to, you know, to teach this to them. And so what happens is we have to invest time, first of all. And so what that, what that will look like, it's a lot less spiritual than most of us would like it to be. Okay, so it's a lot of time sitting in silence. It's lots of time asking questions or praying or have your scripture and just sitting there going, okay, <laughs> you know. And so the first step is the investment of time. And it's the same thing you do with any person. Um, you know, uh, whichever voice that you've heard the most of is the one that's the easiest for you to be able to, to recognize. And so it takes the investment of time up front. And secondly, when you begin to hear things, it takes testing. And so what happened was, whenever I used to, to first begin to grow with the Lord, whenever I would get a feeling, a picture, um, words pop in my head, and I would go, is that me? Is that the Holy Spirit? What I would do is, is I would test it. Now, again, I'm not saying like in, in major ways. I'd kind of find safe ways to test it, if you would. Um, you know, if, if, if the voice says to you, sell your house and move to blah, blah, blah. I mean, I wouldn't start with that one. You can. But I would find kind of safe ways and, and okay, okay, I'd say, God, if this is you, I'm going to try this, and I'd like for you to show me some kind of proof, if you would, after I act on it, that it's actually you. And so I would test it. I'd walk it out. And um, just my own experiences, when I was first learning to kind of tell the voice of God from my own voice, um, I used to get this uh, sensation in my stomach. It was like a burning sensation. And so whenever I, whenever I would get something from God, all of a sudden I have this warmth in here, okay? I thought, oh, okay, and that's really easy. But what happened, the one thing I learned was as I continued to grow in the Lord, all of a sudden the signs, if you would, of it being God would shift and change. And, and so basically you're never going to be, get beyond the point where it takes faith, if you would, to know the voice of God. It's always going to take you beyond your comfort zone. But when you invest the time when you've tested it, if you would, in smaller scales, um, you know, you're prepared to trust him and to begin to operate in it. And what's going to happen is sometimes you are going to miss it. And it's scary, okay, but it's all part of the process. Um, and again, I'd, I'd love to give you guys a verse on that, but there's just not one. Um, really, I would look to Jesus and the Old Testament for examples of how the prophets even had to learn to tell when they'd get this dream or vision. Is this God? Is this a demon? Is this just me? Am I just, you know, uh, you know hungry or tired? Uh, is it the pizza I had last night? Whatever. You know, there's these processes. Of they all had to go through these baby steps of learning to hear the voice of God, to test the voice of God, and then to learn to trust the voice of God. That was a long answer, but I hope it answered that one, all right? Here we go. How do you know the difference between your thoughts or or your conscience, and the Holy Spirit. That's a really interesting one. Um, we think about your conscience, right? Uh, you know, it's kind of like the inner compass, if you would, right? It's this idea of, like, you know, what you know is right or wrong. Um, the one thing that's interesting in the Scriptures, if you guys have your Bibles, go to um, 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. What's interesting here is that I think for some of us, we might think that our conscience, this idea of knowing what's right and wrong, is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Um, but the Apostle Paul kind of makes it clear that's not always the case. Um, here, First Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, so my conscience is clear, but that does not make it, um, but that does not make me innocent, because it is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes. Basically, what he's saying here, he's saying that there is a difference between what is the conscience, the, the, the moral compass, the, the inner part of you that has this idea of what's, what's right and what's wrong. That is not always the Holy Spirit. Okay? There's a difference between the two. But if you go on to Romans, and of course with, with Paul and the, the author of these different books, it gets a little bit tricky. In Romans 9, verse 1, that they actually talk about how sometimes the Holy Spirit does speak to our conscience. And he tells us what is right and what's wrong. And so basically what happens here is that your, your conscience, this, the inner morality for you of what's right and what's wrong, will continue to grow and will continue to mature. In essence, as more of the Spirit of God begins to fill you, as more of your character is conformed into Christ's likeness, the, the more that you will naturally gravitate to what is right. And the more that you will naturally flee from the things that are wrong. Um, an example of this... Um, Culturally, you know, when you find someone who grew up in an environment where they were exposed to violence. And so to them, violence is, it's okay, it's natural, it's what I grew up in. And so to them, their conscience is not really affected by violence. But you take someone who's never seen it or been around it, and they first start experiencing it, they're just, oh my gosh, that's, that's terrible, that's awful. And so again, it's this idea that our, our conscience will continue to be molded into the image of God, and it's also a part of us where we continue to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And it's a very important thing for us to learn the difference because often Christians will get up in arms about their conscience, what they think is right and wrong, and mix it up with believing that's the Holy Spirit telling them what's right or wrong. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look on Facebook, okay? That's not the Holy Spirit showing up in Christians going, ah! That's the, okay. That's all of you guys then, right? No, I'm just kidding. That is the inner, if you would, uh, the, the inner belief uh, that you have of what's, what's you know, right and wrong. Some of it comes from Scripture, some of it comes from the Holy Spirit, but some of it also comes from your experiences and your backgrounds and the culture that you grew up in, all that kind of stuff. And so as you grow in Christ, again, your conscience will continue to be formed to the image of Jesus. Question five. Oh, here's a scary one. So what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The unforgivable sin. Has anyone ever had any questions about this one? Anybody? You guys are way too quiet, by the way. Okay. Whenever you, okay, if you guys grew up in church at all, uh, if you guys went to church camp, you learned about the unforgivable sin, right? And you couldn't go to sleep that night, right? Like, it's the one thing Jesus' blood will not forgive you of. Oh my goodness. Like, have I already done it? Is it too late? Okay, thank the Lord. Okay, y'all went to church camp too. Great, awesome. Okay, simply put on this one, um, if you are interested in that, that that's, uh, what, where is that? That's uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. Um, safe rule here, okay? If you're worried about it, you don't need to be worried about it, okay? If you're worried about it right now, you shouldn't be worried about it. Everyone's like, that's not comforting at all. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Um, the context of this was with Jesus and uh, his disciples were questioning him, okay? And, and the people around him they were questioning his motives. And uh, the basic discussion was on whether or not these signs and wonders were actually being done by God or by Satan. And so in essence, what comes down to, it, it always comes down to our, oh my goodness, that's complicated. It all comes down to our embrace of Christ. Um, 
It's very similar to what the Apostle Paul says when he says that um, no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This idea that whenever we choose to embrace Jesus, the Holy Spirit is that work in us to embrace Jesus. Okay? And so in essence, uh, the, the ultimate measure of this, again, is where you are in relation to Jesus. And so it's not so much that you're like making the Holy Spirit angry and he's like mad at you again. Like, uh, it's, you know, he's not like that. Okay? Um, it's more or less this idea of the one who forgives, which is Jesus, you are not receiving. Because the one who forgives, which is Jesus, who you're able to receive in the Holy Spirit, if that's not too complicated, <laughs> you know, basically don't push Jesus away. Okay, let's move on. That didn't help at all. Did it help anybody at all whatsoever? Everyone's like that. I'm way more confused than I was before that. More fun stuff. Speaking in tongues. You guys ready for tongues? Goodness, you guys are going to wake up with me. All right, here we go. Here's, here's the first question about tongues. Do I have to speak in tongues to have His Holy Spirit operating in my life? Now, uh, some of the churches that I, that I grew up in, we actually kind of taught that. We, we, you know, we kind of taught whenever you'd pray for someone to, to receive the Holy Spirit, we'd wait on them to start speaking in tongues. So uh, when I got prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit, the whole church, and again, the church was like 30 people, but the whole church was up front in a line waiting on me. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 45 minutes, until like, you know, only the faithful were actually left an hour later. And I, you know, and I'm sitting here just going, what's next? What's supposed to happen? And so for me, you know, that, that was not the experience that I had. And, and simply put, if you guys have your Bibles, go to um, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, what we see here is that um, the Apostle Paul teaches us, he says that, um, so are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, you know, and again, the question mark, it's rhetorical. He's meaning obviously no, not everyone is an apostle, not everyone prophesies, not everyone speaks in tongues, not everyone, you know, um, interprets tongues. Um, and he says, but, you know, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so it's this understanding that no, we don't all have the same gifts. With that being said, if there's any argument to why all Christians, if you would have access to speaking in tongues, it's because the gift of tongues uh, is the only spiritual gifting that actually exists to edify you. It's the only spiritual gift that, that exists to edify yourself. Okay, for example, take prophecy, right? It's very difficult to prophesy to yourself and edify yourself, right? Okay, so if you began to prophesy over your life, how much would you believe it? You're like, great thing's going to happen to you. You're going to get a brand new car tomorrow. You're like, yes. Yes, definitely, I receive it. I mean, come on. Okay, um, the gift of service, right? It's hard to serve yourself, right? You're like, oh, Devin, are you hungry? Here's some food. Okay, again, with all the giftings that, all right, it's, it's crazy. It's the only gifting that actually exists that it has a, a primary function to edify you. And so if there's any reason that we should all um, uh, desire the gift of tongues, it's because, again, it's the only one that's supposed to build you up. With all the other giftings, they exist to edify the body, the church. Okay? Uh, moving on to the next one. Here we go. We got, 
Oh, these get fun. So, when someone speaks in tongues, does someone have to interpret? What do you guys think? Which, by the way, let's all just be honest, okay? If someone actually stood up right now in the congregation and started speaking in tongues out loud, half of you guys would run for the door, right? You'd be texting someone, please give me an excuse to leave. Or not, would you, like, would you guys like to try it? That's what I thought. Okay. Now, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, the entire chapter is on tongues. The Apostle Paul is talking to, to the church at Corinth. These guys were kind of partiers, if you would. Um, this city was famous for its worship of idols. Um, prostitute worship, okay? Um, can you imagine going from uh, this religion where it's all about prostitute worship and orgies and, and being drunk and all this kind of stuff, and then like going to a church service? Come on, be real, honest people with me. Okay, crazy, I'm sure lots of fun for them, right? And then they come to this and it's like, this is all we get? Okay, all right. So this church loved the gifts of the Spirit, loved it. They loved sensation, they loved experience and feeling. Um, and so the Apostle Paul, this is the only church where he had to correct them on their use of tongues. And so what happens here is when he's talking to them about tongues, he tells them that whenever someone's going to stand up and speak in tongues, someone must interpret. Basically, everything that takes place with the gifts of the Spirit in the church must be done with order and with peace. And again, he's talking to people because uh, the context here is he'd walk in, you know, to minister, and, you know, you've got 60 people just ripping, you know, <laughs> with their gift of tongues. And uh, the whole idea was that, you know, how does that edify anyone? Uh, the Holy Spirit is here to, to mold us into the image of Christ. The gifts exist to edify, to build up, to make us whole, to, to, to raise us up to following Jesus. How is us all speaking in these different languages we don't understand? How is it, you know, able to build up or edify anyone? It doesn't, okay? And so, again, the understanding is that, yes, in the corporate setting, uh, there does need to be the interpretation of the gift of tongues. If anyone does stand up and speak in a tongue, someone else needs to interpret it. Now, I've been from some churches, some traditions where it was kind of the practice for the person speaking the tongue to interpret it themselves. Uh, we don't like that here. <laughs> now, saying that, I've done that before myself. I'm, I, I won't lie. I've been in church settings where I've experienced someone doing that, and it was a blessing. It encouraged me. Um, but... but what I love about having to rely on someone else to interpret is it, it makes you vulnerable. So, for example, if, if I were to stand up and to give some tongue right now, I just got to wait here for someone else to get it. And if no one else gets it, what's it look like? So Devin's crazy, right? Like, he's just like, you know, he jabber, or, or he missed it, or, you know, Devin's not very spiritual, all this kind of thing. It makes me vulnerable. I have to rely on someone else to operate in the gifting. And I also have to trust the Holy Spirit that he's operating through someone else to accomplish that. So again, in the corporate setting, we do, uh, if someone does have a tongue, there needs to be interpretation through someone else. Ooh, you guys are like, okay, let's move on to the next one, right? Here we go. Um, so what did the Apostle Paul mean when he said that he speaks in tongues more than everyone? Uh, did he need an interpreter? Who was he talking to? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, that also comes from uh, chapter 14 in Corinthians 
as well. And again, he's just gotten done with this, this entire um, uh, correction, if you would, to the church on how they're, how they're using the gift of tongues. And so, um, in essense, he's almost been kind of bashing it a little bit. If you, if you read the entire chapter, he's almost being a little bit harsh on it. Because again, in contrast to all the other gifts, in this setting, in the church setting, it's the one gift that is really not very useful for edifying anyone else. Again, if I start speaking in tongues, what good is that to you? You have no clue what's going on, okay? But if I prophesy, if I serve you, if, if I operate in the gift of mercy, you know, all these different things, it's able to, to touch you, to edify you. And so, um, after he does all of this, he, he makes this comment, and he says, but even with all this, the gift of tongues is important. He says, it's so important that I speak in tongues more than all of you speak in tongues. And again, the context he's talking about, he wasn't talking about, um, you know, at church. He's talking about he speaks in tongues on his own with God privately more than everyone else. And there's a different passage where he talks about how the importance of, of us speaking in tongues, because whenever we speak in tongues, we're, we're not speaking to man, we're speaking to God. And it's this private um, conversation that we have where, again, where God, the Spirit of God is building us up. It's edifying us. And so what happens in this context is it's so crucial for us as individuals to grow in Christ and to use this gifting. But in this setting, it's not about us. When we show up on Sunday mornings, it's not about what we need. It's about how, how can we serve the body of Christ? How can we lay down our time, our energy, our desires, our giftings to serve other people? And so in that setting, um, the gift of tongues is not the primary focus. And if it is going to be used by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be used alongside the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Does that make sense at all? And again, because it's not about edifying you in this place. It's about, it's about edifying us. Okay? Amen? Those are some good questions. Um, before I move on from that, you know, um, I just want to clarify, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, you know, there are two different giftings of speaking in tongues. We see in, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we see the gift of tongues, which is basically, it's called um, the speaking in other languages of the earth basically. And so in the book of Acts, we see where the apostles came out, and when, when they were speaking in tongues, what they were doing was speaking in other human languages. So people from all different lands at that moment all heard the same message in their own language. And so we see that that's often used by God to confirm a message, to say, this is from God, this is for everyone present here. The second thing that, that we see here in Corinthians, and the words even used, the Greek words are even different from each other, the word uh, used in the book of Acts, the word used in uh, the book of Corinthians. And so in, in Corinthians, what we see is, in essence, the understanding that, that it's not a language of man or, you know, like, it's not like speaking, you know, Spanish, okay? When you speak in tongues in this operation, you're speaking the language of angels. And again, it's, it, it's a way of saying you're speaking a heavenly language, okay? It's not of this earth, okay? So, you know, when you're speaking a tongue to be interpreted, you aren't speaking French, okay? Like, you know, you're speaking a language that, uh, that we do not know. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, it's a language of heaven. All right, does that make sense a little bit more about that? You guys are so quiet. Come on now, some feedback, something, right? It's okay, we're taking notes. Here we go. Moving on to the manifestations of the Spirit, okay? First question. So how do we deal with the things that happen when the Spirit is moving that make no sense to us? like running, falling down, etc. Okay, um, holy laughter probably fits into this, okay? Like, have you guys ever been in a service where like, people just start laughing out loud just for no reason? 
Yeah, you guys were like, oh, huh? <laughs> yes, I've seen that. Um, what about a good old-fashioned spirit run? You guys ever seen that before? <laughs> People just take off running around the sanctuary. It's just like, <laughs> and the rest of you guys are like, what are they talking about? Um, what about um, slaying the Spirit, right? Um, this idea to where, you know, people are being touched by the Spirit of God and they just, like, fall out. <sighs> Again, like, you know, okay. If you guys were up here, like, seeing the, the facial reactions, it's awesome. You're like... <laughs> Some of you guys are, like, getting ready to run. Like, the rest of you guys are, you know, getting ready to run out the door. But, you know, same thing. Okay, how do we deal with this stuff? Um, simply put, there's no verse on this, <laughs> okay? Like, there's no verse on how, you know, we are, are to react to this. Um, let me say this. Um, with all of these things, no matter what they are, um, there will always be ways that God moves that make us uncomfortable, okay? Um, and the one thing in the Scriptures that we see is that we have this God who just, he decides to do things the way he wants when he wants to, okay? And as crazy as these things that we've seen are, we have to understand that the Old Testament has some pretty crazy things too. I mean, when God chooses to speak through a donkey, I mean, spirit running is kind of crazy, <laughs> but if a donkey walked in here with a prophecy from, from Jesus, I think we'd all be a little bit more freaked out about that one, I mean, right? Okay. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, Old, the Old Testament visions that, um, that, uh, that, that, that take place are, are crazy, and they're just uh, hard to explain. And so, in general, it's, it's more of a heart attitude. We have to find a place to be willing to test anything. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you to accept everything. I'm saying you have to be willing to test anything, Okay. And so, when the Spirit of God begins to move through something in some way, the first reaction for us has to be, is this God? Okay? The first reaction cannot be, we're getting out of here. Okay? The, the first reaction cannot be, yes, let's do it, you know? Like, pass me, uh, whatever, a, a banner, you know, whatever. I'm sorry. Uh, the first reaction has to be, is this God? You know, we have to be willing to wrestle with it. Okay, and there, there are going to be times where God moves in ways that make, to make, that, that make us uncomfortable. And again, the, the entire point is just that we have the hearts that we are willing to embrace God wherever He shows up. Okay, um, but with that, when you begin to test things, if it's not God, you're allowed to say, I'm good. I, you, know, you know, when I look at the scriptures, I just don't see that. Um, kind of. This question kind of goes along the same line. Question two. Um, so, are being slain the Spirit and holy laughter biblical? Um, let me say this. There are a few arguments that, that, that I could make for being slain the Spirit, but they're all pretty weak, just to be honest with you. Um, we do not see anything in the Scriptures that looks the way that we're talking about. Um, you know, whenever we talk about being slain in the Spirit, we're talking about whenever uh, a minister or leader or Christian lays hands on someone else and they fall down, okay? Uh, you know, there's no instances in the Scriptures with, like, holy laughter or, with, like, spirit running. Um, I've heard some other crazy things, too. Um, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, uh, 
in California. He's famous for having weird things happen. Like he'll be, he'll be praying for someone, like feathers start falling from the ceiling. Yeah. Why? Who knows? Um, gold dust appears sometimes, you know? So like he'll be ministering and all of a sudden people start going, <laughs> what is that? You know, and like gold dust appears. Again, trust me, if I were there, I would probably be at the back door going, Jesus, are you... Are you sure? <laughs> um, you know, again, I mean, like, you know, what do we do with that? There's nothing in the Scriptures that, 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 that shows us where these things uh, take place. I will say this. From the Old Testament to the New, there are solid examples that every time that man comes in contact with God, there is a reaction. Okay? Um, with the Old Testament prophets, every time that they would have a vision, an encounter, every time an angel would show up or the Spirit of God would manifest, they would always fall face down, okay? Um, sometimes it was their own reaction. They were choosing to. Uh, sometimes it happened to them. Um, there's uh, the patriarchs as well. Uh, we, we see it with Moses even. When he, whenever he'd be exposed to the power of God, he would just, you know, fall face down. Um, in the New Testament, we see this happen a few times with Jesus where uh, he, see, he says things or things take place around him, and the response of people around him is to fall down on the ground. Okay? Again, it's not exactly what we're talking about, um, but I think the basic thing to get from that is that whenever the, the natural, the earthly, if you would, comes in contact with the heavenly, there is a reaction, and, and there's always something that gives. If you would, whenever the supernatural shows up in the natural, when God encounters man, Something always gives, if that makes sense. Um, let me share my own story with this, too. Um, I, you know, speaking in tongues, being slain in the Spirit, you know, it, I was always very skeptical of these things. And I think I'd been prayed for, oh my goodness, for probably 19 years before the first time that, that you know, I've actually experienced being slain in the Spirit. And what happened with this was when you go to a church, that is very excited about slaying the Spirit, and there's someone who doesn't fall, you become, like, target number one, okay? So, like, everyone wants a chance to knock you down. Like, Jesus, you know, shouldn't I? <laughs> you know, come on, it happens. Um, some ministers are, like, really sneaky. They, like, put their hand behind your back and, like, bend you over, you know? Um, but <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding at all, okay? Um, and so, with my experience, I'd always brace myself. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Okay, I'm not kidding at all. And uh, it's one time. <laughs> Ooh, goodness. Yeah. I've got some stories for you guys, let me tell you. Okay. Um, one day, um, Pastor Tom Arnold um, was at the church, and, and privately at home, I've been praying about this for probably a year. And I said, God, if it's you, please, you know, please just show me that it's you. And so... Um, Pastor Tom was preaching. He was about 15 minutes into his sermon. And, you know, when he preaches, he's, he's locked in, you know, and, and he's rolling and going. And at that time, I just, I mean, I couldn't contain myself that day. For some reason, I just felt all weird and tingly and hot. and just, It was just weird that day. I was like, man, something is going to happen. And he's preaching, and he just says, all right, son, it's time. I'm like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, this, 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 is, this is not good. So I started walking down the aisle, and, uh, you know, he's a big, big guy, if you haven't seen him. I mean, he's, a, he's a monster, and he, he kind of takes off at me, you know, in his full suit. He's kind of running, and I'm like, 
Okay, what's going on? I'm not sure if I can brace for this one, right? And then he's about to get to me, he just stops, and he takes two fingers like this, and he just, he, barely right here. And I'm telling you, I went probably 10 feet flying back on my back, and I was just back there just going, what? You know, well, what kind of Mack truck just knocked me over, right? Um, since then, you know, maybe, maybe five or six times have I actually personally been slaying the Spirit. Um, Pastor Larry is very famous for this, too. He's, he's famous for kind of, you know, if it's not God, he's not going to go, okay? I can't, you know, I'm not able to explain all of it, okay? I just know that there is a place for us to be touched by God. There's a place for us to where there's something about physically experiencing God that builds us up. Um, it's encouraging, you know, to, you know, to know that God is willing to show us that he sees us enough to even touch us, um, you know, and sometimes it takes uh, us having to be touched in a way that we can't really explain uh, to kind of fill that, that, that hole that we really need to. And so again, uh, if you have more questions about that, I'm, I'm always open to answering that more and more if you guys have time for it. Uh, question three, why don't we see healings and miracles in America the way we do outside of it? Simply put, um, in the book of Acts, when you study the book of Acts, The gospel moves from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. And what happens, the book of Acts is actually shaped the exact same way. So the story in the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, it goes on to Judea, and it follows the gospel as it goes, goes farther and farther away from Jerusalem. And what's very interesting about this is, is that in each place where the gospel is being preached, the Holy Spirit always is manifesting. And so, basically, the apostles would show up, they'd say, Jesus is Lord, and then all of a sudden, here's some proof of that, in essence. What they'd say is, the kingdom of heaven is near, here's proof that the kingdom is near. You know, heaven itself is going to show up, okay? And so, what happened here that's so interesting is that in each region, the Holy Spirit shows up in a different way. In one place, it's, it's, it's tongues. In this other place, it's healings. In this other place, it's uh, exorcisms. What way is it going to show up here at Grace Church, right? <laughs> Time to cast out some demons this morning, right? Okay. Um, but what's interesting about that, again, is the Holy Spirit does not show up in the same way twice in these regions. Now, again, I still believe the Holy Spirit was operating in different ways in each region, but the dominant way that the Holy Spirit was manifesting was very different. Uh, in essence, we see that the, the Holy Spirit shows up to manifest, in essence, to prove the kingdom, to, to release the kingdom of heaven, based on the needs of the people in that place, okay? And so in essence, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky here, but basically, depending on what way Satan is, is attacking and, and uh, trying to oppress the people of God in that region, it determines the way that the Holy Spirit will manifest. Uh, the Holy Spirit always manifests according to need in these situations. Um, and so, you know, here in the U.S., we don't deal with a lot of, of witchcraft, there is some, you know, in, in little spots. But basically, you know, the, the forms of oppression that Satan has here are very different, much more crafty. And, you know, I, I think whenever I was 19 or, or, or so, I used to believe that the entire country would be saved if we would just walk in signs and wonders. But I can't say that I believe that anymore. We live in such a cynical place, okay? I've... 
I've seen some, some amazing things take place by God. And the reaction is always, there's always a way to doubt it. There's always a way to question it. There's, there's always a way to, to criticize it. Um, I just don't believe that the most powerful form of the kingdom of heaven to manifest in America will be signs and wonders. Um, what I do believe, though, is that in this country, selflessness, character, and love are more rare than healings in this country. Um, I do believe that in a country that's all about self, it's all about possessions, it's all about money and power and me and mine and what I want, uh, I believe when the church begins to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest through the love of Christ, the selflessness of Christ, the, the unity of Christ. When, when you see a body of, of believers that are unified and sacrifice and lay down their lives for others when there's no reason for them to. I believe in our culture and in America, this is going to be the move of the Spirit that we see. And I do believe that there will be healings and miracles and all these things take place in it. But I believe that the, the major manifestation that's going to change this country will be for the church to be Christ-like, honestly. You know, and, and so even more than power, I think love is going to be the hardest trait for us to allow the Holy Spirit to mold in us uh, as a people. We got time for one more. Let me go ahead and see what we got. Um, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the church today? Uh, simply put, uh, we see the Holy Spirit is at work in the book of Acts to birth the church, to create the church. And what happens is, in essence, the Holy Spirit is here to enact the reign of Jesus, right? So whenever you become a Christian, okay, you, you say this prayer, right? You say, you know, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? What about the first part, right? The Lord part, okay? Um, how easy would it be to submit to a Lord who had no control of your life, who lived 60,000 miles away from you and who didn't really care much about your life, right? Okay, so President Obama, right? You really don't care about him until what? Until he affects your life, right? Until he threatens to take your guns away, right? <laughs> okay, here we go, right, okay. You don't really care about him, uh, you know, in the White House, in D.C. You know, as long as his stuff doesn't really have to do with you, who cares? But the moment that all of a sudden his authority begins to affect your life and your freedoms, now we have some friction, right? And so what happens with Jesus, most of us, we take this commitment to receive Jesus as our king, as our Lord, as our president, if you would. But it's, it's not a sacrifice because he's you know, 10,000 miles away from us. Well, in the scriptures, what we see is the one who enacts the reign, the one who, who, in essence, makes the will of Jesus known to us is the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. And so what's so difficult about the Holy Spirit is he's the one who shows up and goes, all right, well, Jesus wants your this, and he also wants this, and he wants this, and he wants that. And that's why the Holy Spirit's the one that we all want to run away from, honestly. Um, the Holy Spirit's the one who enacts. He's the one, again, who, who releases the will of Jesus onto the earth. But he's also the one who enables us as Christians to accomplish it. Uh, the word grace, we use that a lot. You know, grace church, right? Uh, the idea is that through the Holy Spirit, he makes known to us what, what, what the will of our king is. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know, and it's the Spirit of God that's at work in you, both to will and to do. He's the one who puts this understanding of what God wants from you inside of you. But it's also the Holy Spirit who enables you to do it. 
And so, you know, as a church, as we begin to embark on this journey with the Holy Spirit, you know, the reason that you need the Holy Spirit is because you need to know the will of Christ for your life. And it comes from the Scriptures, and it comes from the Spirit of truth, right? The counselor, the one who's, who comes to guide us and direct us on this journey with Jesus. And secondly, you need the ability to obey Jesus. And you do not have it in yourself. In the Scriptures, the word intent is very important. It's one thing to know what Jesus wants from you. It's another thing to want what Jesus wants for you, okay? And so what happens is we have this wrestling match that takes place inside of us. We, through Scriptures, through church or whatever, we, we learn the will of God for our lives, but we don't want the will of God for our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes into us and begins to allow us and to mold us and to lead us along to where over time, we begin to desire what God desires for us. And again, at all times, He's the one who allows us to accomplish it. Amen? All right, would you guys stand with me?